This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. First of all, welcome to the month of February. Not being a particular fan of winter, I'll only be happy if we can persuade Mother Nature to let us have a white Christmas. Then, immediately, the snow disappears, and we've got 80 degrees out there. Okay, I know I'm getting grimaces from the skiers and snowboarders out there, so enough about the weather and on to tonight's show. First, it's a trip back to 1944 and a visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen. They had an incredible life together. Burns and Allen met in 1922 and first performed together at the Hill Street Theater in Newark, New Jersey. Continued in small-town vaudeville theaters, married in Cleveland on January of 1926, and moved up a notch when they signed with the Keith Albee Orpheum Circuit in 1927. In 1929, Burns and Allen made their debut radio performance broadcast in London on the BBC. And after a solo appearance by Gracie on Eddie Cantor's radio show, they were heard together on Rudy Valley's The Fleischman's Yeast Hour. And on February 15th of 32, they became regulars on the Guy Lombardo show on CBS. When Lombardo switched to NBC, Burns and Allen took over his CBS spot with The Adventures of Gracie, beginning September 19th of 1934. Now, along the way, the duo launched the temporary running gag that made them radio stars, the famous hunt for Gracie's lost brother, which began on January 4th of 1933 and eventually became a cross-network phenomenon. Gracie was also liable to turn up on other shows, especially those produced by the J. Walter Thompson Advertising Agency, which produced the Burns and Allen series, looking for her brother. Bad publicity after a bid by NBC to squelch the stunt and an accidental mention by Rudy Valley on his Fleischmann's Hour helped the stunt continue, according to radio historian John Dunning's On the Air, the Encyclopedia of Old Time Radio, which also mentioned that Gracie's real brother, a publicity-shy accountant living in San Francisco, went into hiding until the gag ran its course. Burns and Allen followed this with another stunt, Gracie Allen for president. During the election year of 1940... Gracie represented the fictitious surprise party and advocated nonsense as part of her platform. The campaign was successful enough for Gracie to actually receive write-in votes on Election Day. 
Burns wrote most of the material and played the straight man. Allen played a silly, addle-headed woman, a role often attributed to the dumb Dora stereotype common in the 20th century vaudeville uh, series. Well, early on, the team had played the opposite roles until they noticed that the audience was laughing at Gracie's straight line, so they made the change, and in later years, each attributed their success to the other. Here's the episode with special guest William Bendix. Bill Goodwin speaking for Lever Brothers, makers of Swan, the new white floating soap that's pure as fine Castiles. Well, it's Tuesday night again, time for another pleasant visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen, our guest William Bendix, a special visitor Herbert Marshall, Jimmy Cash, the Swan Tet, and Felix Mills and his orchestra. And now meet the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. Well, breakfast is just over at the Burns house, and George is about to leave for the office. Oh, George, I don't think you ought to go to the office today. You don't look well. Oh, I'm all right. A little tired. I, I worked late last night. No, darling, it's more than that. You weep. Why, at breakfast, you had to hit your boiled egg four times to crack it. <laughs> I did, huh? Yeah. And when you're feeling your usual robust self, you only have to hit it three times. <laughs> Yeah, before I was married, I could crack them with my bare hands. Well, I better get started for the office. No, dear. What you need is rest and nourishment. Now, you lie down while I go get a chicken and milk it for you. You're gonna milk the chicken? I, I would cream it, but all I have is milk. Say, cream chicken... <clears throat> Sounds great, but I'd rather get to the office. No, there. darling. You're going to rest right here in this den. Shall I bring down the flower pajamas I gave you for Christmas? Oh, don't bother. They don't look good on me. Oh, I think they're very becoming. Why, across the hips, the flowers look like they're just ready to burst into bloom. Ah, <laughs> oh, never mind. Oh, dear company. I'll close the door so nothing will disturb you. Greetings, dear lady. Oh, good morning, Mr. Bolingbroke. Well, how is your school of culture and dramatic art coming along? Alas, it no longer exists. My landlady cast me forth from my lodgings. Oh, too bad. Yes, and one cannot teach culture on a park bench. Policemen and pigeons spoil the mood. <laughs> Wait, I have an idea. Why couldn't you use my house for your culture school? Who knows, it might become as famous as the Louvre, the Acropolis, the Palladium. That's a splendid idea. Ah, but there is an insect in the ointment of culture, your husband. For some obscure reason, he considers me a bum. Oh, well, don't worry. We'll only hold classes while George is at the office. Now, you get whatever you need for the culture school, and I'll get rid of my husband. Good luck to you, Mrs. Burns, and good riddance to your husband. Why, George, haven't you gone to work yet? Huh? Let me see your tongue. Ah. Well, it looks fine, not a bit bloodshot. <laughs> but, Gracie, a minute ago you said... Uh, put on your coat while I answer the door. Yes? 
Excuse me, lady, but is this where the Gilhulies live? No. Now, I'm sorry. You have the wrong address. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> Who was that? I don't know, but he looked kind of familiar. Well, goodbye, George. Hurry to the office. Do you really think I ought to go? I feel kind of dizzy. Maybe I've got something. My father never missed a day's work in his life. He had lots of things to make him dizzy. I know. I married one of them. Hiya, folks. Oh, hello, Bill. You leaving, George? I guess so. Bill, do you think I look my usual self this morning? Well, no, George, you don't. See, Gracie? You look good. <laughs> Goodbye, funny man. Oh, Bill, now that George is gone, I can tell you the wonderful news. I, I didn't want George to find out about it, so you're the first one I'm telling. Why, Gracie, you, you're going to have a baby. I am? <laughs> oh, Bill, that's better news than I have for you. <laughs> well, what do you think it'll be? Well, well, wait a minute, Gracie. Isn't that what you were going to tell me? Oh, no. Oh, well, uh... What is the news, Gracie? Well, Nigel Bolingbroke and I are opening a school of drama and culture. Oh, really? Well, say, maybe I could teach diction. Oh, are you good at that? Well, Grace, I don't want to brag, but just yesterday, one of the biggest radio announcers in this town came to me to help him with his voice. Really? Oh, yeah, he said, um... Bill, friend, my sponsor is unhappy. Show me how you say swan. The new white floating soap is for soaps in one. The soap for your hands and face for bathing the baby. And the soap for your dishes and light laundry. Show me that, Bill. Oh, the poor man. Did you help him? Well, when I got through with him, he was talking like this. Swan is a great wartime buy. When you wash the dishes with a swan, you get heaps of suds. Suds so gentle, so mild, uh, you don't have to worry about rough uh, red uh, dish panny hands. So he talked like that on his program and the sponsor was happy, huh? No, the sponsor fired him. He was supposed to sell coffee. <laughs> well, no. Now, Bill, I'm afraid you won't do as a teacher. Well, okay, Gracie. Oh, by the way, before I go, do you know the Gilhoolies in this neighborhood? Well, no, that's funny. There was another man here asking for them. Well, that must have been William Bendix. He's trying to locate these friends of his from Brooklyn. William Bendix, the, the movie star? Yeah. Oh, my goodness, and I practically slammed the door in his face. Oh, the poor man. From the looks of his face, it's had lots of doors slammed on it. <laughs> Well, you know, Gracie, Bendix is really a swell guy. I worked with him in the picture, Wake Island. You remember that big, dumb Marine? Yeah, I, I thought you were very good. <laughs> no, he, he was the big, dumb Marine. Oh, oh, yes. Say, Bill, wouldn't William Bendix be a wonderful guinea pig for our culture school? What do you mean? Well, if we could make a suave, sophisticated, leading man out of him, we'd be famous. You'd be magicians. <laughs> he doesn't go for that culture stuff, Gracie. Well, uh, maybe I can get him interested. Oh, excuse me, Bill. Look, uh, lady, are you sure you don't know where the Gilhoolies live? I'm just dying to talk to somebody from Brooklyn. Welcome right in, Mr. Bendix. You mean you're from Brooklyn? 
Well, they call me Green Perch Gracie. Well, hallelujah! Our young hunter, Jimmy Cash, with a brand new popular ballad, So Good Night. James? Good night, nothing more left to say when day is through. My dreams will all be of you. pupil for her school of drama and culture, so she has lured him into the house by pretending to be from Brooklyn. Gee, lady, it sure is great to meet somebody from Brooklyn. Oh, yes, the motherland. Yeah. (laughs) Such a lovely place with its trees and its flowers and its little flat bushes. Yeah, you said a kisserful, lady. What memories? Eating weenies and kraut from a pushcart while the new moon caresses the Navy Yard. You make it sound like poetry, Mr. Bendix Oh, I don't take no credit Brooklyn brings out the poet in anybody that's human And you are, aren't you? Yes Well, enough about Brooklyn Let's talk about you, Mr. Bendix Okay, that's an interesting subject Um, how does it feel to be such a flop in pictures? Hmm? Oh, I ain't doing so bad well, the folks back home are disappointed in your playing a cab driver. They, uh, they'd rather see you as Romeo or Madame Curie. Oh, I couldn't play them. They was foreigners. Well, just the same. The home folks feel that you've let them down. And they don't feel that way about Ronald Coleman. Gee, is he from Brooklyn? <laughs> One of the oldest families. Well, that's funny. I never run into him in none of the saloons. And Brooklyn is mighty proud of Walter Pigeon Him too? Sure You don't say You see, Mr. Coleman and Mr. Pigeon are successful Because they're cultured Brooklyn gentlemen Yeah They make out pretty good with the dames too, huh? Oh, oh, are you interested in women? Oh, yeah, they could very easily become a hobby with me (laughs) 
suppose Charles Boyer always gets the girls? Politics. <laughs> no, because he's a cultured Brooklyn gentleman. I thought he was French. That's right, from the French Quarter of Brooklyn. <laughs> the left bank. The left bank? Yeah. You know, the other side of the Canarsie Swamp. Oh, yeah. A lovely spot. Mm. You could get the girls, too, if you'd brush up on culture. Now, uh, for instance, I'll bet you blow on your soup. Well, sure, but strictly proper, I never blow on it toward me. <laughs> Ronald Coleman doesn't blow on his soup at all. Fans it with his bread, huh? <laughs> Mr. Bendix, you do need culture. Wouldn't you like to become a gentleman? Lady, I'm a gentleman to the tip of my toes. Oh, maybe, but from there up, you need plenty of work. <laughs> I do, huh? Yeah. Now, for example, what would you do at a party if a young lady held out her hand to you? I guess I'd bite it. <laughs> Ronald Coleman would kiss it. Well, he ain't as lonesome as I've been. Yeah. Yeah, you, you better enroll in culture school right away. Okay, I'll give it a try. Where is this seat of higher learning? You're sitting on it. This is the school? Yep. We have a course that's guaranteed to make the average man a gentleman in a week. Well, do you think you can make me a gentleman in a week? Well, it might take a little longer, but don't worry, the months will fly by. Well. Come in. She's ideal, lady. Oh, come in, Dean Bolingbroke. I want you to meet our student, William Bendix. Well, well. Our first sucker, uh, seeker after knowledge. Uh, hiya, Dean. Do you think you can make me a Ronald Coleman? Hey, boy, we shall plant in you the flower of culture. It's up to you to make it bloom. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll bloom beautifully in Mr. Bendix. He's a perfect pot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And now, my dear scholar, uh, shall we discuss that little matter of uh, the uh, uh, enrollment fee? <laughs> oh, uh, you mean don't. Yes, yes. Uh, dough, as you so delightfully put it. Uh, naturally, you want to enroll for all our courses. Oh, sure, I'll take everything you got. It's mutual. <laughs> now, uh, just count your money slowly into my palm. Okay. Ten. For elocution. Twenty. For rhetoric. Twenty-five. For poise. Thirty. For elocution. You said that. Uh, uh, that was compound elocution. This is complex. Oh, well. I guess that's the bundle. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Here's a book I didn't see. You may keep that for your honesty. Oh, <laughs> Thanks, dear. Not at all. You show great promise, dear pupil. I predict that you will make the Hall of Fame. And I didn't make a bad haul myself. Uh, farewell, friends. Oh, no, wait, Mr. Bolingbroke. How about Mr. Bendix's culture lesson? Well, there isn't time today. If your husband comes home and catches us running this culture school, he'll skin us alive. Oh, dear, that's right. And we haven't got the skin to spare like he has. How true. Oh, Mr. Bendix, you better come back tomorrow. Goodbye. Well, gee whiz, I paid my dough. I want a lesson. Uh, Mrs. Burns, I suggest we step into the next room and hold a faculty meeting. Excuse us, Mr. Bendix. Gee... If the folks back in Flatbush could only see me now. Me in a culture school. Hello. Hello. Is that you, William Bendix? Yeah, why? 
Well, nothing. I'm a little surprised to see you here. Well, you look a little out of place yourself. <laughs> out of place? I live here. Gee, she ain't made you much like Ronald Coleman. <laughs> she? Yeah, the little dame, your daughter. <laughs> she happens to be my wife. Oh, well, well, I'm your new student. Student? Look, where is my wife? She's in there. Well, excuse me. Why, George, you're not supposed to be home this early. I mean, uh, hello, dear. Falling broke, what are you doing here? Leaving. Goodbye. <laughs> Gracie, what's William Bendix doing in the living room? He says he's a student here. Is, is that all, all he told you? Yes. If he's a student, who's his teacher? You. Me? What do I teach him? Singing. Oh, stop. Oh, it's true, darling. You've been the talk of Hollywood since you sang at that party the other night. Well, I, I did kind of make a hit, didn't I? Oh, yes, dear. When you sang the desert song, you were so believable. All the sand and gravel of the desert seemed to be right in your throat. <laughs> My desert is calling. Oh, come back to me. <gasps> oh, my sheik. So that's why Bendix is here. Wants me to teach him to sing. Sure. You know, Gracie, when I walked in here, I half expected you to make up some kind of a lie. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you're cute. <laughs> <laughs> Felix Mills and his orchestra, and tonight with the Swantet, an old favorite that's back in favor now, My Ideal.
problem is to keep George and Bendix apart so that George won't find out his home has been turned into a culture school. Well, I'm going in to show Bendix how I sing. Oh, no, you, you can't, dear. You see, when you sang the desert song just now, you didn't sound right. The, the gold was missing from your voice. No gold at all? Well, it was tarnished. <laughs> Some of the notes you sang were sort of green. Gee, I, I thought I sounded swell. My desert is calling. No, no, oh, I'm sorry, well, dear. No, no. <laughs> but uh, I'm very sensitive to the quality of your voice. When it's bell-like tones are perfect, my whole body quivers. And it didn't quiver then? No, only my left leg twitched a little. <laughs> you mean... You mean I'm slipping? No, I'm sure it's nothing permanent. Uh, just this morning you were superb when you sang in the shower. Oh, I love the way you kept tuned to the rhythm of the drum beats. What drum beats? The water bouncing off your stomach. <laughs> oh, that. Showers seem to help your voice. Why don't you go up and take another shower now? A nice long one. But, sweetheart... Oh, please, George. Wash yourself back into shape and then show Mr. Bendix how you sing. Well, okay. I want him to hear me at my best. Uh, just tell him I won't be long. All right, dear. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry I left you so long, Mr. Bendix, but... My husband is home now, and I'll have to give you your culture lesson tomorrow. Goodbye. But, gee, lady, I want to go out stepping tonight. Couldn't you just slip me enough culture to get anyhow an ugly dame? <laughs> well, uh, maybe a short lesson, just long enough for a shower. What's that? Oh, nothing, nothing. Now, we'll pretend that we're Hollywood's two most charming and sophisticated personalities. Uh, you'll be Ronald Coleman, and I'll just be myself. Okay. Now, you're serving me tea, and you just say whatever you think Mr. Coleman would say. All right. Uh, 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 a saucer of tea, your madam ship? Mm, cheerio. Lemon? Quite. Trumpet? No, just squeeze it. Uh, spoon? Oh, let's have our tea first. <laughs> Been hunting today, Ronald? Constantly. <laughs> How was the hunt? It stunk. <laughs> you, um, you didn't catch a fox? No, they wasn't fighting. <laughs> How dreadful. Beastly. Well, how am I doing? Oh, you were wonderful. If it wasn't for a few things like your face, I'd have sworn you were Ronald Coleman. Hiya, Gracie. Uh, hello, Bill. Bendix, are you still here? Mr. Goodwin, you are now looking at the Bendix that all the women want. Well, you are built a little like a washing machine. <laughs> One more dirty crack and I'll kick your teeth in. Oh, Mr. Bendix, hmm? remember your culture. You should say, One more uncouth remark and I'll kick your teeth in. Oh, yeah. You see, Goodwin, this little lady has molded me into a Ronald Coleman. Really? It doesn't show. Oh, Bill, I think he definitely looks molded. Gracie, <laughs> will you bring me a towel? Oh, George is out of the shower. You boys better leave. Uh, Mr. Bendix, I'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye. Bye. Well, Goodwin, now that I'm cultured, I ought to get plenty of things. Now, now look, Bendix, if you want to get somewhere with the women, listen to me. Now, let's say that you have a beautiful woman in your home. Well, that's already further than I ever got before. <laughs> Well, now, now, first you want to show her that nothing's too good for her, oh. you see. So you open the bar and you tell her to help herself. 
Yeah, go on. Yeah. Her eyes will light up and she'll say, Oh, Mr. Bendix, for me, that whole bar of swan? Bar of what? A swan. That's the new white floating soap. Women are crazy about swan because it's four soaps in one. Great for their hands and face or for bathing the baby. And tops for dishes and light laundry. Swan is four swell soaps in one. A great wartime buy. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to tell me I can get beautiful dames with swan soap? Well, sure. Holy smoke, and I've been wasting that stuff taking a bath with it. <laughs> well, no, Bill, that's not wasting it. A swan bath's wonderful. Even babies love those mild as may swan suds. Swan's pure as fine castiles. Say, if Swan is that mild, that pure, you couldn't ask for a better soap for your complexion. Well, yeah, 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 but, but, but what about this beautiful dame I got in my home? Yeah. She's standing there clutching a bar of soap. Now, now, <laughs> what, uh... What now? Well, yeah. now you, you take her in your arms, Bill, and you squeeze her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One little squeeze, does it? Uh-huh. The bar of Swan breaks in two. Huh? And you put... Half in the bathroom for your hands and face tub or shower, and half in the kitchen for your dishes and light laundry. Then you send the dame home. Send her home? Oh, my goodness. Haven't you boys gone yet? Well, we were just... Well, uh, it's too late now. My husband's on his way down to give you a singing lesson. Singing lesson? But Ronald Coleman doesn't sing. But think how many more women you'll attract if you talk like Coleman and sing like Sinatra. Gee. Oh, well, you can be a new and different Sinatra. The microphone can lean on you. Gracie, George is giving singing lessons? Oh, yes. Why, if it weren't for him, Frank Sinatra wouldn't be where he is today. George? Sure, he found an apartment for him. Well, Bendix, uh, I'm ready for your singing lesson. Now sit down and I'll show you how you'll sound after five or six years of hard study. I ain't got nobody. Nobody cares for me. Including me. Goodbye, John. <laughs> I'm so sad and lonely, baby. Won't somebody take a chance with me? But do do do. Oh, you see, see how he closes his eyes, Mr. Bendix. Yeah, he's closing the wrong thing. <laughs> Sing sweet love songs all the time. If you'll be my baby, baby, then you'll be mine. I ain't got nobody, babe, and nobody, nobody, nobody cares for me. Well, Mr. Bendix, when you learn to sing like that, you'll get plenty of women. Lady, the dames I could get with a voice like that I wouldn't want. So long. Ladies and gentlemen, we have with us tonight a very dear friend of ours you all know and admire who has an important message for us all. May I present Herbert Marshall. In the past five years in this country, 50,000 persons have been stricken by infantile paralysis. Thousands of these victims, most are little children, are still crippled. They need care, 
which you can help to give them by joining the fight against infantile paralysis. The National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis needs your dimes and dollars now to care for those already crippled and to check future epidemics. Send your dimes and dollars to President Roosevelt at the White House. Address your contributions to the White House, Washington, D.C. Join the March of Dimes and do it today. Oh, thank you, Mr. Marshall. Good night, sir. Benix is now heard in his own radio program, The Life of Riley. His next motion picture will be The Harry Eight. The makers of Swan, the new white coating soap, join George and Gracie in inviting you to tune in to your Columbia station again next Tuesday, same time, when we will have as our guest, Paul Henry. The following week, William Powell. Remember George Burns and Gracie Allen, CBS, next Tuesday night. And now, till next Tuesday, this is Bill Goodwin saying, Well, I, Swan... How about you? Good night, everyone. Time now for Hopalong Cassidy on Theater of the Mind. With action and suspense out of the Old West comes the most famous hero of them all, Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd. of the Silver Spurs heralds the most amazing man ever to ride the prairies of the early West. Hopalong Cassidy, the same Hoppy you cheer in motion pictures, and the same California you've laughed at a million times. Raw courage and quick shooting have built a legend around this famous hero. Hopalong is a name to be feared, respected, and admired, for this great cowboy rides the trails of adventure and excitement. William Boyd as Hopalong Cassidy, and Andy Clyde as California. Well, Hoppy, what about our story? We call this adventure Right Rope, Wrong Neck. The reason we call it that is because there was a rope involved. A rope that hung above a certain grim scaffolding in the territorial penitentiary at Battery Rock. And a neck involved, too. A neck that belonged to a friend of California's and mine, Fred Oaks. Fred had been sent to Battery Rock to hang for the murder of old Judge Melchior. But the judge's death had really been an accident. As soon as we had proved this to everyone's satisfaction, California and I headed for Battery Rock with a signed release in our pockets. We were nearing our destination on the third day out, and neither one of us were prepared for the shock that was in store for us. Poppy, this is getting to be an awful long ride. How much further is it? <laughs> what are you complaining about? We've only been on the road for three days. Yeah, yeah, I know that, but... I'm getting awful saddle-weary. Hmm, so am I. But it's for a good cause. We'll be able to take Fred back to his wife. Yeah, yeah. It'll sure be good to see them two together again, it huh? It sure will. Hey, uh, Hoppy, ain't that it up there ahead? Yeah, that's it, all right. Big place, ain't it? Sure is. Hmm, I'd hate to try to get over that high fence. Yeah, pretty big gate, too. And there's something else. See those four cupolas up there? Yeah, uh, uh, what's cupolas? Those boxes at each corner of the building. Oh, that's what them is, huh? Yeah. And in each one of those cupolas is a guard with a gun. That's four pretty good reasons to keep you from going over that fence, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, here Ooh. we are. Oh, boy. Oh. Hi there. Open up. We got business with the warden. What kind of business, mister? Official business. We're bringing good news for one of your boarders. 
Ever see anything like this before? Yep. That's from the governor's office. It's got his seal on it. It's all right, I guess. What's your names? Name's Cassidy. They call me Hopalong. This is California Carlson. Heard of you fellas. All right, give me your guns and I'll open the gates and you can go on in. Thanks. Here's mine. Here you are, fella. Thanks. You can have them back again on your way out. Wait a second now and I'll get the gates for you. There, go on in. Which way do we go? Right over there to your left. There's a hitch rail over there. To find the board and you take that outside staircase right next to it. Now that's his office upstairs there. Right off the landing. Thanks. Come on, California. We're right with you, Hoppy. It's a big place here, isn't it? Yeah, here we are. <clears throat> yeah, and I guess that there's the staircase. Yeah, might as well go up. Sure is going to be a pleasure seeing Fred's face when he walks out of this place. It's going to be worth all the work, of course. It? <laughs> that is at that. Uh, let see. Well, here we are. Just walk in, I guess. Warden Davis? Ah, it's me, stranger. Come in, come in. Thanks. I'm Hopalong Cassidy, and this is California Carlson. Howdy. Here's something I think you'll be glad to see. Oh? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, open it up, mister. <laughs> Boy, this isn't worth the paper it's written on. What do you mean? Why isn't it? This is an order for the release of Fred Oaks. Oh, certainly it is. We're taking him out of here. That's why we rode all this way, to bring you that release. Well, you're just a matter of about 30 hours too late. What? Hey, what does that mean? Means that yesterday morning, Fred Oaks broke jail. He, he what? When we get him back this time, he'll hang. You see, he not only broke jail, but in doing so, he killed one of my guards. Now, back to Hopalong Cassidy and our story, Right Rope, Wrong Neck. It was a shock to Hoppy to learn that his friend, Fred Oaks, whom he had cleared of a murder charge and expected to free from jail, had made a break and killed a guard in the process. Now he asks Warden Davis some pointed questions. Warden, I don't understand this. If Fred had known he was going to be released, he'd have never tried to break jail. Why wasn't he told about it? Told about it? How could I tell him something I didn't know myself? Well, why didn't you know about it? Maybe because no one saw fit to tell me. Oh, but that's not so. Governor Martin sent a messenger as soon as he heard that California and I had evidence that it'd clear Fred. Messenger? He wanted to make sure that Fred wouldn't be executed before his release could get here. Then all I can say is that something must have happened to the messenger. I give you my word, I knew nothing about this till just now. Well, I don't understand this. Neither do I. But I've told you the facts. Maybe something happened to that fellow the governor sent, Hoppy. Well, something must have. What I want to know is whether it was an accident or something that was made to happen. If it was something that was made to happen, then someone must have had a motive for Oak's death. Someone wanted him to hang. Exactly. Do you know of anyone like that, Warden? No, I don't. But you know more of his affairs than I do. Perhaps you can think of someone. No. No, I can't. I can't see how anyone could have gained by it. By the way, Warden, how did Fred manage his escape? No one seems to know. All we know is that somehow he managed to get out of his cell just before dawn. Well, how could that be? The first anyone knew about it was when he showed up in the yard. 
Then he was fired at, but he cleared the gate and got away. Well, he must have had help. No doubt. I'd like to know where that help came from. This is the seventh escape in the last six months. One more, and it'll mean my job. But what have you done to get Fred back? Sent two of my best men after him. Mahoney and Taggart. Are they guards? Yeah, they uh, used to be deputy sheriffs. They're good men on the trail. I've ordered them not to come back without him. I see. Then that's taken care of. California, you and I had better get started. We got a different job to do. Anything you say, Hoppy. What's on your mind, Cassidy? That messenger the governor sent here. I'm going to find out what became of him. I've looked everywhere for that messenger fellow, Hoppy. My notion is he ain't to be found. I've found him, California. Uh, uh, you have? Uh, what's he doing? Right now, not much of anything. He's dead. You see, California... He's lying over there, and all the signs have been made to look like he'd been shot on the way to the pen. Yeah. But look here. This is where he was really killed. And this sign shows that he was killed while riding away from the pen. In other words, he wasn't killed till he'd been there and was already on his way back. Then the warden lied to us. Well, that remains to be seen. There may be another explanation. If there is, I'd admire to hear it. I reckon we'd better hightail it back there and put a few more questions to that feller, Hoppy. And the sooner the better. No, I thought so at first. Something else has occurred to me. What's that? Those guards Davis sent out after Fred, Mahoney and Taggart. I wonder if they catch Fred if he'll ever get back to the van. What makes you say that? Fred killed a guard, California. Might just be that they'd rather shoot him down and take him prisoner. Yeah? Or shoot him down afterwards and claim he tried to escape. Things like that have happened before, you know. Darn tootin' they have. But they get a couple of days head start on us. Uh, how do we get to Fred before they do, and how do we know where to look for him anyway? I think the first thing he'll do is try to see his wife. Yeah, yeah, sure he will. And Mahoney and Taggart know that as well as we do. Of course they do. But what they probably don't know is that she isn't living at Miles City any longer. No, no, where is she? She's at Buffalo Point. She moved there right after the trial to get away from the talk. Only Fred and I knew that. Then we head for Buffalo Point. Huh? Right. Fred will have to hide out and take a roundabout route. If we hurry, we may be able to reach there almost as soon as he does. Come on, boy. Let's go. Stay right here. I gotta see if Mary's to home or not. Now don't you make no noise, fella. Mary? Fred! Oh, Fred! Hi there, honey. Oh, Fred, you're back. I knew you were coming, but I never expected you this soon. Oh, darling, it's so wonderful to see you again. It's almost impossible to believe. Yeah. Yeah, but honey, you said you knew I was coming. They don't know I was headed this way, do they? Of course. Hoppy told me you'd come just as soon as they set you free. But I thought... Set me free? Hey, what is this? 
What's all this about Hoppy and setting me free and everything? Come on, what is this? But, Fred, Hoppy got your release. Release? I don't know anything about any release. Look, honey, don't you know why I'm here? I'm here because I broke out. Oh, no, Fred. No. That's only the half of it. If they catch me this time, they'll hang me for sure, oh, but... Th then, then we'll have to get out of here. Huh? Well, I don't know what this is all about, and I don't want to know either. All I know is that if they're after you, they're not going to get your back. Come on, Fred, help me, please. We'll, we'll get the things we need together and get out of here just as soon as we can. Yeah, now, wait a minute. I'm heading for the border. Well, what of it? Where else would you go? You can't go with me. But I am going with you. I'm not going to allow you out of my sight again. Not till I have to anyway, and I... I hope I never have to. <laughs> Come on, let's not argue, Fred. We haven't much time. They hey, can't... wait a second. What? Thought I heard something. You stay right there. I'll get behind the door here. If anyone comes in, you tell them... A... But someone has come in. Why, you... Oh. Oh, it's you, Hoppy. Yeah. I was afraid... Oh, look, Hoppy, you're just in time. I'm plenty glad to see you. I gotta head for the border. Mary's coming with me. I can't wait... Wait around. a second. Not so fast, Fred. Huh? Before we go any further, I'd like to ask you one question. What's that? Did you kill that guard at the penitentiary? Yeah. Yeah, I killed him, Hoppy, but I couldn't help it. You gotta believe me. Sure. I didn't even intend to kill him. It, it was just an accident. He... Hey. Hey, what kind of a joke is this, Hoppy? What's that gun for? I'm sorry, Fred, but I'm taking you back. Oh, you don't mean that. I do mean it. I thought you were my friend. But I am your friend. That's what you say. From where I stand, you look more like a dirty dog. Fred, I feel like a dog. But you've killed a man, and you'll have to pay for it. Now, back to Hopalong Cassidy and our story, Right Rope, Wrong Neck. When Hoppy arrested him for the murder of the guard at Battery Rock, Fred Oakes was bitter in his denunciation of his one-time friend. But Hoppy felt that he had no choice, that he was only doing what his duty demanded. Shortly afterwards, they started on the return journey to Battery Rock, accompanied by California. And now we see them early in the morning, after they've made their first camp. California. Yeah, Hoppy? I think today we'll cut a little farther over to the north to avoid the main trails. Why? I don't want to take a chance on running into Mahoney and Taggart. I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't too far away from us right now. Neither would I, Hoppy. I think you get the right idea. Well, why so anxious to dodge him? Well, if they take you in, Fred, I'm not so sure you'll reach the pen alive. They're guards. And after all, you killed a guard, you know. Oh. The way things are, if we run into them, they'll have the authority to take over. Yeah, they would. California and I wouldn't have any right to refuse to give you up. So it's better to dodge them. Yeah, I, I get the idea now. We'll be on our way pretty soon. But first, there's some things I'd like to ask you. Yeah? What? For one, how'd you ever get out of your cell? Hoppy, you'll likely not believe this, but for the life of me, I don't know. <laughs> Somebody unlocked that cell during the night while I was asleep. When I woke up just before sunup, I found the door unlocked and, and a gun sitting inside. I can believe you, all right. In other words, someone was trying to frame you. Well, maybe... Well, who would want to frame you? Who'd have a reason? I don't know, Hoppy. The warden and I were discussing that. Hoppy, up until I made this break, I never figured I had an enemy in the world. 
Since nobody stands to gain anything by seeing me killed. I don't know. It's got me stumped. You won't get any help from me. I can't give it to you. Well, you would if you could, I know. Well, there's something else. What's that, Hoppy? I've known you for a long time, Fred. I've always figured you to be pretty level-headed. What made you kill that guard? I didn't mean to, Hoppy. I told you that. But still, you did. How come? Well, it, it happened just when I was making for the gate. He popped up in front of me right out of nowhere. All I did was fire over his head to scare him. Yeah. You see, he started to aim at me with that shotgun he was carrying. How'd you know you killed him? You didn't stop to examine him, did you? No, I I just happened to look back when I topped the gate. Could tell from the way he was lying on his back that he must have been dead. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I don't... Hey, wait a second. I thought you told me that when you tried to fire over his head, he was aiming at you. He was. Just starting to, I mean. Then how come he was lying on his back? Huh? Hey, I think you see what you're getting at, Hoppy. Of course. If you'd hit him from in front, he should have been lying on his face. How it'll, come? It'll happen that way 99 times out of 100. I've never seen an exception. He shouldn't have been lying on his back unless you shot him there. But I'm telling you the truth, Hoppy. He was facing me. He had his... Of course you're telling the truth. As long as you've admitted killing him, what reason would you have for lying? But you didn't kill him. What? Someone else must have. Someone who shot him in the back. Say, you... You think I can be so happy? It must be. Was anyone else firing at the time? Yeah, but it was dark, so I couldn't see just who was and who wasn't, Hoppy. But it sounded to me right then like everything was aimed in my direction. Then anyone might have done it. I'm not taking you back to the pen. I don't understand, This Hoppy. changes things. If you didn't kill that guard, I want to find out who did before they get their hands on you. You get aboard that horse of yours, Fred, and we'll... And if he does, I'll blast him right off it again. <laughs> What is this? Oh, Mahoney. You're all under arrest, all three of you. You're Taggart and Mahoney. That's right, I'm Taggart. Who are you two? My name's Cassidy, and this is California Carlson. We were not just... interested in faked explanations, Cassidy. You and Carlson under arrest for planning to help this killer to escape. We... Hey, what in blazes? Next time you try to arrest anyone, you'd better take their guns, Taggart. I'm told you and Mahoney are ex-deputies. You should have known better. You won't get far, Cassidy. We're not going to stay. We're not going anyplace. Huh? We're going to Battery Rock with you. What's the idea? We don't mind going with you. We just don't care about going under arrest, that's all, Taggart. And as long as you're taking Fred, we want to go with you. We figure that way Fred will have a better chance of getting to Battery Rock alive. Any objections? Do us any good if we made any? None at all. And we won't make none. And you'll be sorry for this, Cassidy. Wait and see if you ain't. No, no, I'm not interested in putting you and Carlson under arrest, Cassidy. Thanks, Warden. Now, as a matter of fact, from what you've told me, I agree with you that Oaks may not be guilty. The jury isn't likely to agree with you, though. It very likely wouldn't. You won't be able to clear Oaks this time unless you can show who did kill that guard. I agree with you. Which still leaves us with the problem of trying to figure who could gain anything by doing Oaks harm. Does it, I... Warden? Well, doesn't it? I've been thinking this over, Warden. I've got a hunch we've been attacking this whole problem from the wrong angle. I don't think anyone cared what happened to Fred. Then why was that messenger killed? Whoever killed him wanted Oaks hung, didn't they? I don't think so. I think they merely wanted Fred to believe he was going to be hanged. Why? So when he got a chance, he'd make a break. Well, I still say why. So that that guard could be murdered under cover of that break. Say, maybe you're right. 
They, they uh, didn't want Fred killed. They wanted to kill the guard. Fred was just going to be the goat. Say, have you got a file on that guard, Warden? What was his name? Uh, Jackson. Yeah, just a second. Yes, I, I have his file right over here. Won't take a second here. I left quite a bit of information about him, of course. We always keep it. Cassidy. What? What is it? It's gone. Jackson's file is gone. California. California. Hoppy, uh, what is it? I'm riding to Cedar Butte. You stay here and keep an eye on Fred. How long are you going to be gone? I don't know. A couple of days at least, maybe longer. What you going for? To look up Jackson's background. He's that dead guard. He came from Cedar Butte. Maybe they can tell me what I want to know over there. Watch that. Tell you when I get back. I'm in a hurry. Come on, Topper. Oh, uh, but Hoppy, wait. Uh, uh, uh gone. When that Hoppy's in a hurry, he sure ain't going to be hindered. Doggone. Doggone, Warden. I don't know what's happened to Hoppy. All I know is the same as you do, that he's been gone a week, and he said he'd likely be gone only a couple of days. He... Uh, something uh, must have happened to him. Uh, uh, maybe it has, but... Uh, but it has. Hoppy! Well, we were... Ah, it's gone longer than I expected. Because after going to Cedar Butte, I had to go into the state capitol. Warden, I found out plenty. Huh? What's that? Well, in the first place, Jackson wasn't the guard after all. He only pretended to be. Huh? And his name wasn't Jackson. It was Mason. Well, I don't get it. You weren't supposed to. Jackson or Mason or whatever his name was was sent here by the governor. You remember all those escapes you told me about? Yes. Well, the governor sent Jackson here to find out who was behind them. Why wasn't I told that? Because for all the governor knew, you might have been behind them. Oh, that's nonsense. Who was? We don't know. But it's pretty obvious now that the man Jackson was after found out about it and framed Fred's escape so he'd have a chance to kill him, with mm. Fred getting the blame. Yeah, then we're no closer to knowing who he is than we were before. But I think we are. Huh? How come? Jackson knew who engineered those escapes. He named the man in his last report. That report never reached the governor. It didn't. Either the man he was after destroyed it, or else... Or else what? Or else it's still hidden somewhere in Jackson's quarters. He would have kept it hidden somewhere, of course, till he had a chance to send it out. And the man who killed him may never have found it. Hmm. Well, I'll have a look for it immediately. But I thought California and I would... No, no, no. This is my job, Cassidy. I'll look for it. All right, you do that, Warden. Let us know what you find. There he is, Hoppy. There's Warden Davis coming out of Jackson's cottage right now. What are we going to do to him? Wait a second. He's lighting a match. Wants to see what he's got. Yeah, he's looking at some papers, California. He, he... He's going to set fire to him. Come on. Hold on there. Hey, what is Grab him, California. Hold still, you barman. I got you. I got him, Hoppy. I see he, he, he. Well, well, I'll be... I'll be doggone. It's... It's you. <laughs> 
back to Hopalong Cassidy. Yeah, yeah, what's going on here? Look here, Cassidy, what is this? California just grabbed off the man we want, Warden. Huh? He thought at first it was you. When we got up close, we found out different. Taggart? It's Taggart. Sure it is. Gave himself away by stealing Jackson's report and trying to destroy it. You'd never have caught me, Cassidy, if Jackson hadn't left this report around. I should have looked for it before. If you had, you'd never have found it, Taggart. Uh, you there. Take this fellow away. Lock him up. I'll do that. Come on, Taggart. This is going to be a pleasure. Cut! Get the <laughs> oh, this was a clever capture, Cassidy. Uh, what I don't understand is how Taggart knew we were looking for that report. Well, uh, I thought all along I'd kept it a secret. Ah, uh, not in a penitentiary, Warden. You were forgetting the prison grapevine. And that was what I was banking on. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. But tell me, what did you mean when you said he wouldn't have found that report even if he had looked for it before? Surely if it's been there all the time. But it hasn't. What? I needed that report to make the man we wanted betray himself. As soon as he heard about it, he figured he'd have to find it and destroy it. Yes, I understand, but... There's one thing he didn't know. What was that? Jackson had nothing to do with it. I wrote that report myself. Well, I'll... Don't trouble to express yourself, Warden. (laughs) Come on, California, let's be on our way. Yeah. (laughs) Well, with a little manipulating, it looks like Hoppy finally measured the rope, or the right neck. The next time we meet Hoppy and his sidekick, California we find them driving 10,000 head of cattle to market. But before they complete their mission, they run into plenty of trouble at the hands of a rival outfit. That is, until Hoppy finds out who caused the stampede at Semple's Crossing. Don't miss this next Hopalong Cassidy adventure. Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd, is transcribed and produced in the West by Walter White, Jr., Right Rope, Wrong Neck was written by Gibson Scott Fox with original music under the personal direction of Albert Glasser. All stories are based upon the characters created by Clarence E. Mulford. This is a Commodore production. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Let George Do It, followed by Life with Luigi. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.